0: Welcome to the PreparedX Podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton.
1: And welcome to episode 130 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton, and welcome to today's show. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about the ninth annual International Crisis Management Conference. This year's conference conference is in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. Day one, we have eight speakers and four panellists. Um, who have got the greatest and latest information on all things crisis management. And day two, um, we've got uh, training workshops that will cover both ransomware, incident response, as well as crisis management planning, and all things exercises, which we're going to talk about today. Go to crisisconferences.com for more information. Welcome to another episode of the PreparedX podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest here today, Derek Rowan. Welcome, Derek.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And uh, Derek's got a vast amount of experience in the world of uh, crisis uh, exercises, emergency exercises, all things uh, preparedness exercises, which is great. That's all we do here at uh, at uh, PreparedX. So we're looking forward to having Derek on here. So uh, let's dive into this insightful conversation uh, with Derek. Derek, before we jump in, tell us a little bit more about uh, Derek.
0: Oh, well, uh, thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. So uh, I've been an instructor of some form or another since about 1984 uh, in the uh, in the 80s. I joined the uh, local volunteer fire department here outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, shortly thereafter became a firefighter instructor in uh, the late 80s and uh, did a lot of also emergency responses and incident management team on um, work for a variety of disasters uh, around the U.S. Um, over those period of uh, 20, 25 years. And uh, during that time, I started developing quite a few exercises for first responders across multitudes of scenarios. Uh, when the uh, H-C, uh program moved from the Department of Justice into uh, the Department of Homeland Security headquarters in the uh, early to mid 2000s, I was approached to uh, help develop and train or create and teach. The train the trainer program uh, for the contractors and government workers that would deliver those first set of HC forces across the United States. And uh, during that time frame was doing a lot of exercise design, a lot of instruction, uh, working as controller evaluator on lots of exercises. So uh, finally decided to start my own firm around exercise design uh, around 2007. So that's sort of my journey in the exercises.
1: That's wonderful. And uh, HC for those uh, of our folks that are in the in the corporate space and uh, may not be familiar, it's the Homeland Security Exercise Evaluation Program. So a uh, great program uh, for certainly the larger scale exercises, but of course, can be scaled down as well. So nice. Thanks for the background. So um, obviously, you've shared a little bit about your career so far, but what uh, sparked your initial interest in the area uh, and then evolving specifically, uh, you know, becoming a specialist in this area?
0: Yeah, as uh, as that instructor journey, right? I've been on platform and teaching for now over forty years, and really exercises, uh, at least I have found, are just an extension of training, and they're really the validation of training uh, throughout. And so that uh, has always had a lot of interest to me, not only in terms of uh, processes, right? I'm, I'm a process oriented. Fan, I love uh, policies and procedures and SOPs, uh, and of course how exercises are used to evaluate and validate those particular things. So with that whole umbrella of uh, instruction and how procedures and processes work, it really was a natural fit, and I just uh, just really enjoy the ability to look at organizations, how they work, how. they integrate how they respond to decisions, what the consequences of those are, and how we can create simulations uh, for them to uh, really practice uh, those plans, policies, and procedures in challenging incidents.
1: Excellent, thanks for, for the background there. So in terms of where we've come from, so the evolution of uh, these exercises, in your opinion, and your obviously vast experience uh, here, Derek, um, what are some of the significant changes that you've observed uh, over the year with approaches and methodologies? I, I know you've been heavily involved with HC, and that's been a big part of it. Yeah.
0: So uh, great question. So interestingly, uh, I haven't seen major changes in the processes, uh, mm-hmm. but there are, and of course have been a uh, lots of trends, especially over the last 10 years, right? Budgets have become much smaller uh, and certainly here in the United States, uh, September 11th, is not even a memory uh, for many of the current emergency management staff that are currently employed throughout the country right now and so we are seeing uh, some challenges in uh, what was called then of course the uh, failure of imagination we're starting to see that uh, develop again this could not happen here that scenario is not realistic here and so on uh, we've also seen uh, some disturbing trends. Training in general for emergency management is uh, little to non-existent. Uh,
1: really? no, uh, specific, yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's been interesting. And groups are becoming more fragmented maybe even more siloed within these organizations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and especially in EM, we've seen at least nationwide here in the U.S., Uh, and frankly, overseas as well. There's questionable or even non-existent defined roles for what emergency management does, should do, uh, et cetera. So this is, I've seen, translating into overall uh, lack of willingness to exercise at Mm -hmm. all. For those that do exercise, uh, the last 10 years, we've seen groups becoming more interested in smaller exercises, either do-it-yourself exercises, what we call exercises in a box. and, And I think your company has a product like that. Uh, Greater activities within discussion-based exercises have become uh, much more popular. Um, For example, uh, I made a policy inside my company about 10 years ago that all discussion-based exercises need to have some sort of activities in them by default, uh, unless there's a compelling reason within either the objectives or extent of play or the client doesn't want them. Uh, And those are becoming a bit more popular. And we've uh, seen... In the last five to six years, a resurgent of games, although uh, we still see them being applied generally improperly in the civilian world, yep. uh, but uh, that's what I've seen in the last last uh, you know few years
1: yeah yeah sure we're certainly seeing a lot of technology trying to come into the marketplace on the certainly on the corporate side which is you know a heavy part of what we're, we're involved with and uh you know they, those technologies trying to jump in the middle of you know existing technology from a you know crisis management crisis response communication perspective so that integration of that and some organizations of course you know the mid-market organizations really not not ready for that like you said budget reasons or, or other reasons so certainly um but yeah certainly changes uh Um, you know, uh, are good. So uh, real world impact. Next question. Can you share an example of a a well-designed emergency exercise significantly impact an organization's preparedness or response in a real world scenario? Uh,
0: Great question, Rob. And uh, I think, and I know you're in this business as well. I'm I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, There are gazillions, and that is a technical uh, (laughs) gazillions of examples of that. Um, I remember a uh, active violence um, series we were doing for a uh, large metropolitan area. And it uh, had a tabletop and, you know, workshop tabletop and a um, full scale that was implemented within this particular series. And I remember very clearly uh, that the law enforcement agencies in that particular jurisdiction were fairly adamant that they would never under any circumstances Uh, transport, in this scenario, gunshot victims uh, in their police cruisers, right? That is just never, that's a policy, it's never going to happen. And even though this was some years ago, there had already been some instances inside the U.S. where that exact thing had become a necessity, but this department, you know, wouldn't have any of it. So uh, we designed in the tabletop, it was a very activity-based tabletop. We had the first responder table with some big maps and tokens and Patient symptomatology cards where we had the first responders, the unified command, the uh, fire, EMS, police were all there moving tokens around with a facilitator uh, talking through them. And as the exercise unfolded, the ambulances would move the patients, uh, the symptomatology cards to another table where it had hospitals all set up and they would move the patients through their particular process, it became quite obvious pretty soon that um, we couldn't get all the patients off the table uh, with the resources that were realistic. And they were watching, they, the law enforcement, were watching the uh, simulated patients just bleed. Uh, And so it became quite clear then that they needed to transport these, uh, at least some of these patients. They went back and did, uh, to their credit, change their policies uh, for this, and later on that year, when we did a full-scale exercise, with had about 500 actors uh, in it. Uh, they performed much better, and uh, when the circumstances called for it, they they actually transported those victims. So, uh, lots of examples um, like that. Um, I'll give you uh, one more. I thought was interesting. We were doing an overseas uh, tabletop for a uh, country in Europe, senior senior officials, and. Uh, and Probably, uh, Rob, you'll agree. Um, if you read an organization's policies, authorities, plans, and their procedures, you can generally have a pretty good idea how they're yeah. going respond and and what that after action report is going to look like.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) For sure. Yeah, yeah, you you, you can see the draft already. Yeah. (laughs) Indeed.
0: So in this particular uh, example, this was a hazardous materials type scenario, and they were very centralized in their decision making. So the national uh, government uh, made a lot of decisions for the first responders Mm -hmm. uh, in downrange, range, if you will. And we knew that that just from experience, going to result in poor public messaging poor outcomes for the citizen challenges for notifications to hospitals and public health so um in previous exercises which we were reading the after action reports for previous tabletops everything looked like it went smoothly and i'm like "Mm, i don't buy it so uh we were able to uh design this particular exercise in a large large ballroom so we moved uh national headquarters to the one side of this ginormous ballroom and the first responders to the other side of this ginormous ballroom also ginormous is a <laughs> yeah, <basic> yeah. <laughs> term uh and we required them uh we had a facilitator but during the actual moves if you will during the exercise we had them communicate via paper so they'd fill out a form and walk the form to the other side of the room and it very quickly showed them they agreed Uh, that their uh, centralized decision-making for this scenario was inadequate, so they subsequently changed uh, their policies and specifically their plans and procedures, and it worked very, very well.
1: Yeah, I love that very effective simple uh tabletop action uh act uh, or tabletop exercise activity split those groups up we we find that even in the corporate space when we've got a group of leaders together maybe we've got the you know the the alternates in the room as well from a leadership standpoint and we'll say listen we need an extra room so let's because we've got some great ideas from different teams but like you said you know um, th- those um those gaps that you find just by splitting them up um you know tr- tremendous value so good 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 okay Okay, uh, challenges and solutions. What are the most common challenges organizations face when conducting emergency exercises, and how would you recommend that they overcome them?
0: Yeah, great, uh, great question. Well, of course, the first one is they don't. Uh, right, yeah. don't yeah. exercise, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and uh, we've seen that, and perhaps you have as well. A lot of I'm going to use the term inadequate policies. There's not usually yes. policies, but sure. A lot of- yeah. Yeah.
1: For the, for, for, yeah, the basic framework, the basic standard at the top. Yeah, from the top. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sometimes management will require, you know, uh, quote, scenario driven exercises, as opposed to capability based exercises. They often don't have a multi year plan within organizations. Uh, and we found a tremendous number of organizations, both governmental and non-governmental, that they just don't have good SOPs or standard operating procedures or procedures to do things. And what we found, interestingly, is that this results in people not wanting to exercise. They, they know there are some issues Uh, and they know that this exercise is not gonna work, right? They read the plans just like we did or know the lack thereof. Uh, So we found that that's a a pretty interesting problem. And so what is the solution? Well, uh, it's hard to say the exact solution, but one of them certainly is organizations to actually implement the existing after action reports they already have, fix the policies. Write the plans or modify. Everybody's got a plan. Modify the plan. Write the procedures. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that actually get people excited about exercising again those improvements.
1: Yeah, remediation always becomes a, a big discussion. I, we we start off very early on by asking for those previous reports. Send me a, a whatever form, even if it's an email, because you know, whatever it is, whatever they sent you, you know, whoever was doing it. And uh, of course, once they build that into their processes, then like you said, the benefits and some of the, those things are really easy to complete. Right, the policy is easy to complete, the modification of those procedures. You know, some low hanging fruit. You know, uh, as we say. So yeah, prioritizing them um, is. Essential. Okay, this is good stuff, uh, Derek. Technology and innovation. How has technology influenced the emergency management exercises? And are there any innovative tools? We're hearing about AI, of course, all the time now, or practices uh, you believe uh, are game changers in this field, either now or in the future?
0: Yeah, great question. So uh, I'm a technology fan, right? Uh, I, I love technology, and I try to incorporate technology wherever possible. Um, there's lots, of course, happening uh, in the space. And probably, perhaps you've seen as well a lot of, uh, I'm going to say a lot of misapplication of technology. Uh, yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. a simple example I despise paper. I'm just not a paper right. fan. Right. I don't like right. paper. And so uh, I've tried every conceivable way to do, uh, you know, feedback forms, hot wash forms, whatever you want to call yeah. them electronically. Yeah. And what I found is, it doesn't work. Paper.
1: Nope, I, um, yeah, yeah. It's the same for it's the same for us. Yeah. But if the, if they're in the room, give them a piece of paper, and you'll capture it. Absolutely. Don't, don't send them with. Even if you send the email while they're in the room, they're yep, not going to fill out the digital form. The, you know, the Microsoft form or whatever. Whatever you send them, they're not going to do it. Absolutely, it's amazing. <laughs> so applying technology
0: is important. Now there are certain things, of course, technology has really changed uh, exercises, and I think for the better. Example. Um, Public information exercises, so social media simulation, uh, synthetic media—you know, fake news, if you will—simulation uh, uh, technology has really allowed the democratization and easy application of those types of exercises, and they've greatly benefited, uh, you know, from technology. That ability to replicate real-world social and media broadcasts has been invaluable. Uh, to training, you know, doing a press conference with it, an iPhone to film it and then watch it later uh, is easy, and uh, everyone can, you know, perform uh, very simply. So that's great for technology. Um, databases, I mean, obviously, databases have been around uh, for a while, but what we are uh, haven't seen a lot of is the analysis of corrective actions. Right, a lot of groups don't take their AARs and put them in databases and see, you know, uh, what percentage of challenges are policies? What group has uh, issues with planning or with equipment, et cetera, right? So databases have really allowed that. In fact, we started actually building tools. Uh, We have a corrective action tracking tool that allows organizations to track these things and make reports on them. And so, so technology has really helped that. Now, AI, you mentioned AI, so I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, I do like ChatGPT, uh, and I've been playing with it a lot. I'm really excited about it, but I found it is, uh, it's easy to misapply for exercises, yep. for example. I've seen a lot, and perhaps you have too, on LinkedIn. Hey, you can just put in your uh, uh, request for ChatGPT, and it'll spit out your tabletop. Well... It will, it'll give you a scenario, maybe some questions, but it really doesn't take into account, of course, extent of play, level of play. And it's not allowing us to get to the consequences of actions, not just asking the question, right? That's what we want to, but I'm excited about the future for that. so yeah i have been really fascinated with that on uh, one other technology is games of course games are, are an interesting use of technology i mean you're seeing of course board games and you're seeing your traditional war gaming which is in the classroom um or not classroom but you know in a uh, face-to-face type environment we're seeing uh, games of course get into the technology space most of them are very tactical Uh, And what we're not seeing yet, which I'm excited about the future of and we've been experimenting with are those strategic uh, games, not red versus blue, uh, you know, bad guys versus the good guys, but rather normal emergency management against regular sort of scenarios and how decision making can be monitored, consequences evaluated, and perhaps maybe even more importantly, re-examined with a different decision. In other words, can I rewind, if you will, and then examine those consequences. So I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah that's great yeah yeah no so we have the same thing on the ai front and uh, and of course when we do it from from a corporate perspective you know it's about the nuances of the environment that they operate in right so and of course you know you know you know open you don't want to put any of their data into open ai and they don't want their data there unless they've got it implemented internally but then there's so many different areas of the business to design a, a structure a scenario if you're doing a 3 or 4 hour workshop you know there's a lot of detail that goes into that um, and, and you know you want to make sure you're accurate so so you know, finding the name of a database, you'll not find it through ChatGPT. Finding the name of somebody who manages that process, right? Um, who, the business continuity? You know, bringing all those different functions in from different areas of the business. All those little nuances make your exercise successful, right? Because it engages those leaders uh, in those different areas of the business. So it's a long way to go, but um, so for for some of the basics, if organisations are just getting started, they want a simple, you know, scenario for themselves and just general questioning fine but uh as you get more advanced with your exercises yeah then uh, uh it's a way to go but this is good stuff all right so i think we're coming to kind of towards the end I, and uh, uh we're, we're about 20 minutes in this is a uh, we could keep going all day i think derek with uh oh, i love with, this stuff yeah right, I, I, know, so I know i know i love your passion for it as well so i'm the same it's why i wake up in the morning indeed Indeed. Uh, advice for future professionals. Then, um, you know, my, my, son, uh, is, you know, really intrigued in what I do and always asking questions. And, uh, he's, uh, he'll be 17 coming up in April. He's got a year left. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, push him in the direction that, uh, I would like him to go but without, you know, without pushing, but, uh, just, you know, providing him with some, uh, uh, tidbits, if you will. So any advice for individuals aspiring uh, to jump into the specifically emergency management exercise space? I think, you know, in my mind, I, I see it now in the corporate space, and, and you probably see it as well, of course, with HCP, you've got specific individuals who are trained to do that job, right? And that's, of course, what you do on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, even within the emergency management space, um, even the crisis management spaces now within large institutions, certainly large banks now, they have cyber teams that are exercise teams, and that's their full-time job and so we're seeing much more expansion in that area so uh, what's your advice for professionals looking to jump into our space
0: yeah great great question so and uh, and i've thought about this over the years um you know is it as simple as having a, a training background knowing how to teach is it as simple as being an em and knowing what the roles and responsibilities of em are and what i've actually uh, sort of come to the i'm gonna use the term um uh, not popular uh decision especially for my new staff (laughs) is read and when i say read i mean uh, at least in the u.s uh understanding um authorities right really understanding how not only government agency authorities work at all levels of government especially in the usa right between our locals our counties our states and uh, regions and uh, of course our federal um but also all of the uh, doctrine that the U.S. has. So um, we do. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to do a lot of work around the world. Uh, we just did our 42nd uh, country in which we've done an exercise in. So that was pretty exciting. Nice. And one of the things the U.S. does well is we create a lot of doctrine. We have a lots of you know preparedness frameworks and yeah. interoperable plans and presidential orders. What we don't do well is understand how all that works. Um, And uh, so that's item one I would certainly recommend is read uh, all those things, the preparedness frameworks from FEMA, agency or your company uh, policies, the operational plans, how it's structured. And the second uh, advice of the three that I'm gonna give is understand NIMS, not just ICS. People equate the incident command system with NIMS and they're not the same. ICS is a component of the National Incident Management System and understand all of NIMS, how it works. Now, this is US centric, of course, uh, which I think many of your audience members are within the US. Um, uh, Other countries may or may not have an equivalent of uh, NIMS, but uh, at least in the US, really understand what it is, how it works. Don't read it, reread it. And then lastly, take an HC class. They're available uh, for- both private sectors, we still teach quite a few of them. Um, mostly, we're now doing mostly private courses. People ask us to do an HCP, and we'll certificate them through FEMA uh, and uh, understand that process. First, doctrine, second, operational management or command and control, like in this case NIMS and then the ICS component of that and then how to apply that to an exercise. That'd be my advice.
1: Excellent. Well, that's wonderful. I appreciate um, you know, your, your time today. Um, what I would like to do is uh, can you let the folks know um, how, they, how they're going to get a hold of you after this? Are you on LinkedIn? Or we'll add your obviously the LinkedIn um, profile here into the notes. But uh, how can they get a hold of you otherwise, Derek?
0: Yeah, great question. Uh, thank you for asking. It's a, at Accentra, A S C E N T T R A. The company is on all the socials at that handle uh and uh, uh anything that you leave there will get to me so uh, I, I appreciate you asking
1: yeah, great. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for your time today. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, that wraps up uh, episode 130 of the Prepared X podcast. Uh, please feel free to rank us on any of the outlets, you know, share this uh, with anyone um, that you think would benefit from this. We appreciate it. And don't forget, the conference is coming up in uh, June, June 4th to the 6th in Rhode Island, crisisconferences.com for more information. Derek, thanks once again, and uh, have a safe rest of your day. Thank you, Rob. Bye-bye. Thank you.